To the Commander Theory Podcast. I'm Nick Beatman, and I'm here with my friend, Zach Mack. Hello, everybody. So today, we've got a great topic for you. Uh, I want to give a quick shout out to Swampy Logs, one of the members of our Discord server, for suggesting it. But we are going to be talking all about underplayed commanders. Yeah. And you might be asking yourself, what does underplayed mean? How is that different from underrated? So we are going to be using EDH rec data, as we often do on this podcast. And we're going to be looking at the rankings of commanders in each color identity and just looking for commanders that seem to be lower in the rankings than we think they should be. Mm -hmm. So it's going to be pretty subjective, but basically a commander that deserves to be higher is usually one that has like an interesting, unique build that's like powerful or fun. We'll get into like why we think some of these commanders might be underplayed. Yes. But before we we jump into it, I want to talk about our Patreon. If you head on over to patreon.com slash commander theory, you can support the show and get cool rewards like joining our Discord server for as little as $1 a month. And if you aren't ready to be a patron yet, you can still help us out by writing us a review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. And with that, let's get into it. I think we're just going to go in Wooberg order, so we're going to start with some spicy white commanders. For each commander that we talk about today, we're going to talk about what their ranking is, some of the commanders above them, how we think they build, why we think they might be lower in the rankings than they ought to be, quote unquote. The first commander we're going to be talking about today is Teshar, Ancestor's Apostle. So it's three and a white for a 2-2 legendary bird cleric. It's got flying, and whenever you cast a historic spell, meaning an artifact, legendary, or saga, return target creature card with converted mana cost three or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. So currently, Teshar is sitting at number 10 out of the mono-white commanders. It's a respectable spot. Mm Mm-hmm. But I think that the Teshar deck is really interesting and powerful. And, well, would you mind naming some of the commanders that are currently higher ranking than Teshar? Oh, yes. So if we just move up from Teshar, there's Elish Norn. Uh, That one I could see, but there's Eight and a Half Tails is up here. Uh, Nahiri the Lithomancer is up here. Kemba Ka Regent is up here. You can kind of see a theme with a lot of these guys. Balan Wandering Knight is up here. Avacyn, Angel of Hope, uh, has become the number two mono-white commander. I think it was still pretty highly ranked before Mm -hmm. when we were talking about it. But there's a lot of decks that either play very linearly with these like equipment themes or they don't do much. It's like Elish Norn and Avacyn both have similar game plans of like Keeping the board clear, keeping your stuff there. Yeah, I think that Elish Norn and, to a lesser extent, Avacyn mm-hmm. are so highly ranked in part because the character is super popular. Yes, yeah, yeah. The gameplay is not that dynamic for either of them. Yes, I agree with that. Um, like, both of them are really expensive, and you're in a color that is incapable of ramping. So it's like, I'm going to play a planes one at a time for eight turns in a row. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. The uh, eight and a half tails really blows my mind. Too, yeah, yeah, eight and a half tails is very defensive. It kind of cares a lot about what your opponents are doing and doesn't really give you as much of a game plan. Yeah, I have a friend with an eight and a half tails deck and they enjoy it and that's cool, but I don't know what inspired them. Mm-hmm. The Teshar list, and I think we're going to talk about one more mono white list, but mm-hmm. the, these lists, like, they play so differently than the rest of these mono white lists we mentioned. Yeah. So Teshar, if you haven't played it, if you aren't familiar with it, it's a combo deck. Yes. It's kind of an eggs combo deck, a bit of a sack outlet kind of deck. Yeah. And there's just tons and tons of different combos that you have to learn. And then because white is incapable of tutoring, you just kind of have to luck into them. Yeah, you have to piece them together. (laughs) I find this deck very difficult to play. And I've been playing Commander for 10 years (laughs) um, because it's not obvious when you have a win. You just sometimes will have a hand full of cards and think like, wait, do I win here? (laughs) 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 Which which could be a reason that it's not more popular. Teshar who has a very interesting gameplay is fairly difficult to like pilot and put together. I would assume like most people's Teshar lists are not as tuned. Yeah. I'm going to, I'll say tuned, like probably running a lot more like good stuffy things than they really should or need to, Mm -hmm. which would kind of like water down a lot of the potential (laughs) Mm -hmm. for explosiveness. It's a challenging deck. I think you're right. That's probably the reason why it's a little lower in the rankings than it like ought to be because it requires so much of you as a deck builder and as a pilot. Yeah, but really, really cool. Like if you've ever wanted to play with like Cathodion or like Leonin Squire mm. <laughs> in Commander, then there you go. Like this is the perfect, do I got a list for you? <laughs> uh, it's a great commander for Scrapyard Recombiner too. Oh yeah, that's really cool. There's some really essential constructs in this mm-hmm. deck. Yeah, and it just runs a bunch of really cheap, interesting cards that just really aren't going to see play in like any other deck. You're not really looking to run like Benevolent Bodyguard into many lists or Memnite. You don't play Memnite anywhere you don't play that anywhere. <laughs> That's not a card you want to play. Or like Phyrexian Walker. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's like a ton of goofy, goofy little dorks, like artifact guys and cheap guys who just get value or do something so minor. But when you can repeat them so many times with Teshar, just all of a sudden you're like, oh, I win? Scrapyard Recombiner is a, a one card combo in this deck pretty much. You can get Phyrexian Walker, and you can get Workshop Assistant. You can get a Forge Master, and that'll get you your sack outlet. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. (laughs) We did it. The next list is not quite as friendly, but we're amazed at how little the list gets played and also how people tend to build Mm -hmm. this list. So we wanted to bring it up. Yeah, so this is Hakori Dust Drinker. It's two white-white for a 2-2 legendary spirit. Lands don't untap during their controller's untap steps. At the beginning of each player's upkeep, that player untaps a land they control. This is a pretty heinous ability. Oh yeah, this is uh, popularized by uh, the card Winter Orb. Essentially, the way to build around the deck is to 
break symmetry mm -hmm. and make it so that Hakori affects your opponents but doesn't affect you. Yes. Once you have all your mana and your opponents have none of their mana, mm -hmm. it's not that hard to win from that position. Oh, yeah. No, it's actually, I would say it's fairly easy, <laughs> even, mm -hmm. even in mono white, to do that just because the advantage is so severe. It's so much. And there's a lot of tech that will enable you to do it. But funnily enough, we're not seeing much of it. No, yeah, when you look at the like average list, it doesn't come up. A couple cards that you probably want to be running in your Hakori list are Astral Slide and Astral Drift. They do essentially the same thing, but it's two and a white for an enchantment. Whenever you cycle a card, let you exile a creature and return it at the beginning of the next end step. So the fact that in both cases it's a delayed return means that you can do some, some pretty interesting things with it. So for example, if you were to blink Hakori during your opponent's end step, assuming the opponent's on your left, yeah. then it won't return until the beginning of your end step, which means it's not in play during your untap step. You will get to untap all of your lands, and then it returns right before you pass the turn to your next opponent, and they have to deal with living under Hakori. So... There are many, many, many cards with cycling in white. There's like 40 or something. Yes. And a lot of them just have utility. And generally, like running a bunch of cycling cards is not a huge burden. No, yeah, they all kind of do something. Like something you'd probably kind of want. Like a lot of them, there's a few that destroy artifacts and enchantments and stuff like that. There's some that grant protection yep. to a creature. And mm -hmm. it's like, okay, I can use this either to protect a quarry or if I happen to have Astral Slide or Astral Drift, mm -hmm. they can blink him and... And Decree of Justice is played pretty heavily in general. Like that card is a pretty large advantage. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like if you like don't have to tap all of your stuff and all of your opponents are completely tapped out, like that for any amount is will, will help you win. Pretty nuts, yeah. Yeah, there's also just some other good utility cards like Acroma's Vengeance. Just wipe the board of everything. Yes. <laughs> so, and of course, there's like cycling lands, so there's almost no cost to running those. Ash Barons, like, why not? Or like Secluded Step. Yeah, there's just so many of them, the Drifting Meadow and stuff. Normally, I don't advocate running a bunch of cards just to build around another main deck card. In this case, the main deck cards being Astral Slide and Drift. But because the opportunity cost of running cycling cards is so low, mm -hmm. there's no harm to building around them. And once you have a deck that's just incidentally running 20 cycling cards, then these engines are online all the time. Yep. And like we said, like there's a ton of actual utility. Like there's a fog with cycling. There's a ton of good stuff here. You also get Erratic Portal, which is a card that lets you pay one tap, bounce a creature to its owner's hand unless that player pays one. You just don't pay the one. And it, there's like an upkeep cost of breaking symmetry on Hikori, which is like the four to cast him plus the one to activate your Erratic Portal. But that's could still be a big net benefit for you once you have like 10 lands in play. I'm just amazed at like, it seems like Hikori is like the troll commander. Like looking at the list that people have posted, like it's Spirit of the Labyrinth and Hushwing Grift and Static Orb. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you don't need to build into these if your commander is already the same. Yeah. <laughs> like there's, I, I really don't think that like you need to play all of the like, Eidolon of Rhetoric and the, like, Rule of Law. I can understand the taxing card. So, mm -hmm. like, Lodestone Golem's pretty good when your opponents, like, have to pay more and their lands aren't untapping. Like, stuff like that I, c I could kind of see being a thing. Or, like, a uh, Vern Wingmare. 
Like, okay, I understand that one. Like, non-creature spells cost more. But, like, why static orb? Like, why are you making this harder? Like, on yourself. On yourself. Harder to break the symmetry. Yeah, that seems strange to me. But And I'm amazed at how many lists are just playing, like, every single troll mono-white card. Did we mention that Hakori is the 23rd most popular mono-white commander? We have not yet. Okay. All right. It is worth mentioning that Hakori is pretty far down the list, when yes. you, especially when you consider that the good mono-white commanders stop at around 6. So that's really far down. In this case, it's a combination of things why he's so far down. One is it's like an effect that will get you targeted. Anyone who yeah. sees Hakori in the commands are going to be like, oh, I can't allow this. Yeah. <laughs> also, I think just a lot of people are misbuilding Hakori. Mm-hmm. A lot of people aren't building like the best version of Hakori, which is more powerful and funner than probably this average list that we're seeing. Yeah. If I cast Astral Drift on my turn three... I'd probably be like a little excited about that. Mm-hmm. If I just cast Static Orb on my turn three, I'd probably, or like Trinisphere, mm-hmm. that's not fun for me or anyone. Yeah, that, <laughs> like, doesn't, that doesn't actually help you win that much. Yeah, I don't understand. Like, I want to mention a couple more pieces of tech before we move on to the next. Smothering Tithe is very, very good in this deck. Oh, yes, yes. Like your opponents generally don't like paying for Smothering Tithe, but when they only untap one land per turn, it's just not going it's to happen. It's never going to happen, yeah. Also, lands that tap for more than one mana are very, very good. So like Lotus Veil, when it enters the battlefield, you have to sacrifice two untapped lands, but it taps for three mana of any one color. That's very good. Scorched Ruins. Yeah. It's the same thing, except it taps for four colorless mana. There's the new uh, Lotus Field from mm-hmm. M20. Mm-hmm. It enters the battlefield tapped, and you have to sacrifice two lands, and it has Hexproof. So those are all pretty good in this deck. Ancient Tomb, Temple of the False God. Yeah, any of those guys. Yeah, help you break the symmetry. We're going to move on to blue. So this one, I think, is near and dear to both of our hearts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> our mono blue commander is Thada Del Acquisitor. So Thada Del is a 2-2 for one blue blue merfolk rogue, has island walk, and whenever she deals damage to an enemy player, you can search their library for an artifact card and exile it, and then you can cast it until end of turn. Mm-hmm. To give you some, for reference, like, what rank is she? She's number 30. 30 in the Monoblue Commanders. Yeah. So pretty far down there, she is not the most build aroundy. Yeah, because she's so focused on just taking your opponent's stuff, you're playing their deck almost more than you're playing your own deck. Mm -hmm. Yeah, basically, like, the first things you steal from everyone is everyone's soul ring. So we actually had a friend who made this list back when he didn't have soul rings, and kind of the idea was he would hit you and then (laughs) take your soul ring Mm -hmm. and then use it to cast everyone else's soul ring, (laughs) and it was pretty funny. There's also some really cool things you can do with her just by virtue of the fact that she's a rogue. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. That means she gets access to knowledge exploitation. That means she gets access to notorious throng. Yeah. Two very so powerful cool. cards with Prowl. Mm-hmm. There's a couple things you can do to synergize with her island walk. Mm-hmm. Like Spreading Seas and Aquatex Will both draw you a card. So yeah. it's, it's pretty low uh, opportunity cost to run them. There's Quicksilver Fountain, which can really then, yeah. mess with the mana base of multicolor deck. Yeah, that's a three-cost artifact. At the beginning of each player's upkeep, that player puts a flood counter on target non-island land they control. That land is an island as long as it has a flood counter on it. 
And then at end of turn, if all lands in play are islands, remove all flood counters from them. I've seen it wreck some games before. It's way more powerful than it looks, especially like if you drop it early enough to kind of like catch people. This list is pretty funny too like you can run some things like uh psi master thopterus Mm -hmm. and like at bare minimum sack all the artifacts you're getting to draw more cards which Mm -hmm. is really silly you can run agent of treachery yes card from m20 yes the beginning of your end step if you control three or more permanents you don't own draw three cards and you also steal something but the main thing is like it's very easy to meet that condition of having three or more permanents you don't own when your commander steals stuff so easily yeah it just hits things and steals things and it's very very easy to do let's talk a bit about why we think thada is so low in the rankings she's below things like Mistform ultimus yeah some things that are higher up in the list than thada adele a blind seer mm. that one really gives you a direction there yeah uh fibblethip the lost mm-hmm. kami of the crescent moon mm. it's much higher Oh, also um, Thassa, God of the Sea. Mm-hmm. Most people that are building Thassa are doing the, the sea monster build. Oh. More than 50% of these decks have Tromocratis. <laughs> but why do you think Thada is so low in the rankings? Yeah, I mean, she's not super like enticing as a build. I think that she looks like a Voltron commander because mm-hmm. she's cheap and has like evasion in the form of Island Walk. Uh, and she like steals artifacts, so I think people think of her as this kind of like linear Voltroni kind of strategy. When she's actually like much trickier and kind of sillier than that. I think that she might be low just because she doesn't give much direction for a deck. And so mm-hmm. even though she is very powerful and you can ramp really easily, what do you do with the other ninety nine cards? Yeah. Are you ready to move on to black? Yeah, for sure. The black one is really cool. <laughs> do you wanna do you wanna yeah. talk about it? Yeah. All right. I have talked about this many times before, but the commander we're going to be discussing today is Iname Death Aspect. Iname is four black black for a four four legendary spirit. When she enters the battlefield, you may search your library for any number of spirit cards and put them into your graveyard. If you do, shuffle your library. She is all the way down at number forty four in these mono black rankings. That's incredibly low. There's only 56 decks in the database. Really surprising. And, and some of the commanders above her are things like Yargle, Glutton of Urborg. <laughs> um, there's Corlash, heir to Blackblade, mm-hmm. who's like pretty much just a vanilla creature. There's the Haunt of Hightower, which is mm-hmm. mostly just a vanilla creature. Yeah, there's just a lot of goobers up there. But this uh, Nami deck is super powerful. I've talked about it before, so I'm not going to go too far into detail, but there's a couple ways you can build her. One way you can build her is just, I'm going to get 20 spirits, and I'm going to tutor out Mortal Kombat and at the beginning of my next upkeep, I win the game because that's the, the win condition on Mortal Kombat. But the more fun version of the deck mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is I'm going to get this like toolbox of spirits and fill my graveyard with spirits that'll let me do pretty much anything I want and then reanimate them and control the board and eventually grind my opponents out because there's things like He Who Hungers is a spirit 
four and a black for a three two flying spirit one sacrifice a spirit target opponent reveals his or her hand choose a card from it that player discards that card plays his ability only anytime you could cast a sorcery and then soul shift four which means when it dies you go get a spirit with four cmc less out of your graveyard and put into your hand so you can just completely destroy your opponent's hands with this card especially since there are some really good self-recurring spirits yeah bloodgast is a spirit nether trader is a spirit just getting like he who hungers bloodgast nether trader is enough to completely ice your opponent's hands and there's there's a ton of these different loops you can make too there's uh spirits that set creatures for for like pinging there's cryptgast is a spirit so like Getting that into your graveyard and getting it on the battlefield, instantly doubling your mana, super powerful. Mm-hmm. Kokusho is a spirit. Kagamaro, first to suffer, is a spirit. Kagamaro, he has power and toughness equal to the number of cards in your hand, and you can pay black and sacrifice him to give all creatures minus X, minus X until end of turn, where X is the number of cards in your hand. So it's a board wipe that you can tutor into your graveyard, yes. and then you're in the best color for getting it out of your graveyard and onto the battlefield repeatedly. Yeah, no, that card has uh, shrekt my board many a time. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's very, very powerful. <laughs> yeah, Myogen of Night's Reach is yep. a spirit. There's just many powerful things you can do with this commander. It's an awesome control deck. It's a powerful combo deck. And it's crazy that it's number 44 in the rankings. Yeah, I agree. Why do you think it's so low in the rankings? There's a lot of mono black cards that like do a very similar thing. And I think this is just off kilter enough, like building around this certain tribe, but not in like the typical tribal sense that like it doesn't like capture people's imagination because if there's one thing i've learned about edh rec and like people building mm-hmm. it's that they hate getting on scryfall <laughs> so i think like the fact that you would have to put in effort to look up a lot of these spirits to put into this list more so than just playing uh, mortal combat or something like that mm-hmm. i think that might be a turnoff for people they're like oh like i can't think of any spirits off the top of my head that I would want to do this with, so I'm not going to. It might be that it's a turnoff because there's downsides to this card. Mm-hmm. It costs six mana before it does anything. Yeah. It requires you to commit to this one particular creature type. Yes. It puts them into the graveyard, so there's an additional step of like, well, how do I get them out of the graveyard? Yeah. If you don't know of the existence of Mortal Kombat, it might just seem like it's too much trouble. Yeah, or like Balthor the Defiled, like something like that. Like there's yeah. a bunch of ways to get like a bunch of cards out of your graveyard. Yeah, I mean, in there's one like, shot. yeah, there's Living Death, Twilight's Call, but yeah, all of these cards just basically get creatures out of your graveyard in one shot. Patriarch's Bidding, <laughs> classic. I think it's just there's like a few too many steps for most people. Mm hmm. I think that's kind of why... It's a shame. I think of the commanders that we're going to discuss today, I think that this one probably has the biggest delta between how I think of it versus where it is in the rankings. Mm -hmm. Like, 44 is abysmal. Yeah. Let's uh, talk about a mono-red commander. Yeah, this guy. I think I've brought up before on the show. (laughs) Yeah. How far down in the rankings is he? Just below Tuck Tuck the Explorer is Merton Stromgald, coming in at number 70 on the Mono Red Commanders. 
Merton Stromgald is two red red for a 1-1 legendary human knight. When he attacks, other attacking creatures get plus one plus one until end of turn for each attacking creature other than Merton Stromgald. When he blocks, other blocking creatures get plus one plus one until end of turn for each blocking creature other than Merton Stromgald. This guy makes your token armies enormous absolutely huge yeah the block like never comes up because like he's guaranteed to die in Mm -hmm. that case but the attack when you're guaranteed to get this massive buff it's coat of arms but for anything yeah so you got a bunch of goblin tokens boom like kill somebody you got a bunch of elemental tokens boom kill somebody you got some manlands and a solemn and something else like there you go, Merton, maybe kill somebody. <laughs> like, It's so much damage so quickly, and it's only four mana. So knowing how much people like Coat of Arms, it's amazing to me that more people haven't gravitated towards him. He's from Ice Age. He's very old, but he's not super expensive. He's not like a very highly sought-after Ice Age card. Yeah, he's like $2, $3. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, like a, still technically like a dollar rare, like in the bulk rare bins. Mm-hmm. There are many good token commanders in red, mm-hmm. but he's, what, number four, number five? He's he's one of the best still. Yeah. Just a curve of, like, any one drop and then, like, Krenko's Command or Dragon Fodder or Mogwar Marshal, anything yeah. along those lines. Goblin Instigator. Mm-hmm. And then a Rabble Master or a Legion War Boss or Hordling Outburst. Mm-hmm. Then you cast your commander and then turn five, you're swinging for... Just absurd amounts of damage. Yeah, an in- incredible amount of damage. It's really, really crazy. And this is like barring, like if you played any haste granters, mm-hmm. if you played any more more efficient token generators. Like, it's pretty crazy. And and the thing is, like, there's so many cards in red. I think there's five cards now in red that cost two and make two tokens. Mm-hmm. And there's I mean, there's at least two cards in red that cost four and make two tokens, and there's multiple five mana ones that make multiple tokens. There's a lot, and this is barring sorceries, instance and sorceries too, it, those rarities that make more things, and things like Kanewar Garrison, or just Krenko himself. <laughs> <laughs> like, Krenko is also very good in this list, so... All right, I think I have the best example of how underplayed Merton is. Mm-hmm. I think this one is just, like, incontrovertible mm-hmm. merton costs four he's in a monocolor color identity jazal gold main costs four and is in a monocolored identity jazal is a four four first strike cat warrior and has three white white attacking creatures you control get plus x plus x until end of turn where x is the number of attacking creatures so it's essentially the same ability yeah very similar except jazal gold main pays five mana for it and Merton Stromgall gets it for free. Yeah, just just got to turn it sideways, baby. Yeah, but Jazal Goldmain has 67 decks on EDH Rec, <laughs> and Merton has 11 decks. No, but this guy is insane. I was introduced to him by him beating my face in many years ago, mm. and it was an experience I never forgot. <laughs> <laughs> I already have multiple mono red lists right now, and he's always one of the ones I look at and go like, Merton, get over here, buddy. Maybe someday. What are some of the commanders above in the rankings that you think are just much, much worse than him? There are a few. Manichi the Fevered Dream. So this is a 1-2 spirit for 2 and a red. It has 1 red 
Switch each creature's power and toughness until end of turn. Funny thing about red creatures is they tend to have higher power than toughness, <laughs> don't they? Yes. So, so the vast majority of the time, it, the ability only makes your creatures worse. But, it's absurd that that card is red instead of blue or like white or like a color that could actually use the Yeah, ability. make use of it. And that's not even like the most egregious offender, I think. I think that like Aaron the Relentless, three, two red. So five CMC for a five two. He has haste and he has red, 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 regenerate. He's just a hasty five two with very expensive regenerate. Man, there are a lot of vanilla creatures on this list that are yes. significantly higher than Merton. Yeah. I'm seeing I'm just gonna rattle them off because it, I don't need to read all these to you. Yeah. Lubu, Master at Arms. Yes. Rorik's Blade Wing, mm-hmm. Maraxis of Keld, Brothers Yamazaki. Mm-hmm. Brothers Yamazaki is above this guy, Merton. It's crazy. There are many, many cards that are much, much worse than him. But yeah completely eclipse him in terms of popularity yeah it's really crazy i'm amazed that squee the immortal is more popular too like is that just a combo list do you just clamp it a bunch no people just suit up squee it's a voltron list i guess voltron players were tired of their commanders getting killed like okay kill this (laughs) red has a lot more depth than it used to but i still just feel like he's gotten an unfair shake over the years yeah he should be in the top 20 at yeah, least. so powerful. Top 15. So like, strong. Freaking Ashling the Pilgrim is here. <laughs> <laughs> that one's definitely a meme deck, though. Okay. People people meme with the Ashling. Why do you think this guy is not as highly rated? With Merton, it might just be that because he's like the fourth or fifth best token commander, anytime somebody thinks tokens in red, they're going to get redirected to one oh, of the yeah. options. No, I actually could see that, especially for mono red. Just yeah. like there's a like larger gravity well around Perforos it, yeah, or Perforos. Zeta exactly. or Krenko. You know, they're playing a lot of the same spells. Yeah, that's our mono red pick. I hope you make us Meriton deck. Let's get those numbers up, Let's folks. Let's get those numbers up. All right, moving on to green. We have a couple commanders we can talk about here. Let's start with Reiki, the history of Kamigawa. Oh, yeah, yeah. You had a challenge a long while ago to make a Reiki list, right? Like someone asked you about this? Yeah. He rips. He's really good. He has only gotten better recently. Yeah, so, that's true. <laughs> so, so Reiki is two and a green for a one-two human shaman. Whenever you cast a legendary spell, draw a card. Anytime a commander just says, whenever you cast something, draw a card, that really pushes you to play just the cheapest members of that category. It really does. And it's absolutely the case here. The deck is all about playing like Ovia Pashiri and <laughs> Eladomri, Lord of Leaves, and just like the cheapest one, two, three drop legendary creatures. So you can just kind of elf ball out because you're also running stuff like Earthcraft. You're also running, oh, what's the paddle? Honorworn Shaku. Honorworn Shaku. Mm-hmm. You're also running like Cryptolith Rites. You're just trying to make it so that all of your guys tap for mana. So they kind of like subsidize their own mana cost. And then Reki subsidizes the cost of the card. So you're just kind of elf balling out. And then eventually you've got a whole bunch of creatures on the board and you got to win from there somehow. I don't know. (laughs) You figure it out. There's a lot of different ways to turn random creatures into a win in mono green. The king of overruns. So that's a, a really strong deck list. Let's put that in perspective. What are some of the commanders that are above Reki? Reki is number 22 of the mono green commanders. And above Reki are things like Ovia, Pashri, Sage Lifecrafter, mm-hmm. 
So Ovia Pashri costs one green for a 1-2 human artificer. She has two green tap. Create a 1-1 colorless servo. She also has four green tap. Create an XX colorless construct artifact creature token where X is the number of creatures you control. It's just like very underpowered compared mm-hmm. to any other token generating commander. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean like... It, Ovia is the most heinous of the offenders on the list of cards yeah, above. I, no, I think that most of the ones above him are fine, but just the fact that he is below Ovia is a little insulting. There's also Multani Yavimai's avatar. Uh, you got a big boy who doesn't die too good. So I understand the appeal of a lot of these, even if I don't agree that they're like the, the most fun for me. Why do you think this guy is not as highly rated, do you think? With Reki, the answer might be anyone who's interested in playing like a Legends-only deck would probably just think to run Captain Sisse instead. Yeah, yeah. That, that would, makes sense. That would be my guess. Like there's somebody kind of splitting the vote and stealing his audience. And I could also see that for Reki, just like the fact that Sisse exists. Because I've seen Reki in most Sisse lists, like most green-white Sisse lists. Mm-hmm. So that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Although there's not actually a whole lot of overlap between what cards he's running and what cards Sisse are running. Oh, and yeah. I think the, the style of gameplay is also completely different. And that's why I think he should be higher up because it's it's a unique deck. All right. The next commander we want to talk about is Hua Tuo, Honored Physician. This comes in at number 47 in the green ranking. So one of the lowest we've we've seen today. It is one green green for a one two human. No job. No job. I know. You'd think he'd be a cleric because he's a physician. Like, yeah. <laughs> like Yogmoth Thran physician yeah. is a cleric. I would not be surprised if every other card named physician. Okay, there's only one of them. <laughs> but anyway, one green green for a one two human. Tap, put target creature card from your graveyard on top of your library. Activate this ability only during your turn before attackers are declared. That last writer is because like it was a portal set they didn't like cards that make things chessy it's just like everything sorcery speed before you attack yeah everyone knows everything all the time (laughs) so this like looks much much more boring or just like generic value than it actually is and the reason (laughs) is because there's so many goofy cards in green that play with the top of your library mm-hmm. you might have remembered if you've been listening since we talked about the commander decks last year with aminato we were very critical of the fact that top of the library deck didn't include green in its color identity and this deck is a really big reason like pretty much plays all of those cards that we were talking about then you've got your lurking predators mm-hmm You've got your Vizier of the Menagerie. You've got your Call of the Wild. There's just yeah. a bunch of cards. There's Garrick's Horde. There's Zoologist, which is Creature Call of the Wild. All those green tutors that put things on top of the library. So like Worldly Tutor or Brutalizer Exarch. All of a sudden you get your guy and he's he's right there. And you can just cast him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's pretty cool. There is no grindy mono green deck other than this guy yeah like this is out of all the mono green commanders like this is the only one where the game plan is like i'm gonna grind out value and beat you over the long game using this creature as a resource 
in the same way that like mono black kind of does similar things where it like it wants guys to sack for profit or it pays life for profit like they kind of have similar play styles green has similar play styles where it's like i ramp into big guys or i ramp into tokens or I, a lot of i ramp into x this deck doesn't do that mm-hmm. like you do ramp because you're in green and ramping is very strong in commander but you're playing the cards in such an interesting way. Yeah, and there's just like no other green commander that really lets you play out of your graveyard. Mm-hmm. Like having access to that second hand is so strong. Mm-hmm. And this is one of the few that can make use of it. So it's just unique among the green decks. It's at a decent rate. Like three mana for this commander is pretty solid. There's a lot of build around. I think this deserves to be much much higher than it is yeah i do too i think if you were to look at a a list for this guy you would be convinced that like he'd be a ton of fun and also he's only three mana Mm -hmm. and this is something that i've been running into a lot recently is like i'll play a deck and i'll see a commander and i'll be like oh i really want to make that guy and i've been really having a hard time with any commander that was more than five mana Mm -hmm. even five mana commanders now i'm kind of like oh do I want to make that list? It's five mana, which is not something that I think anyone would have said even five years ago, mm-hmm. which is crazy. Just like the amount of good spot removal, board wipes, all that kind of stuff. So like, it's really, really a benefit to have like a cheap commander. Mm-hmm. Just being able to play with your cards the way you intended is amazing. <laughs> yeah, you can really get started with this guy early And there's some very cute things you can do. Like one of the most popular cards in this deck is Evolutionary Leap. Yes. And because the way it works is like you can sacrifice a creature to Evolutionary Leap. And then before the ability resolves, use Watuo to put that creature back on top of your library and basically draw it again. So it's like a instantly get any creature into your graveyard and then back into your hand. So if you have a creature with dies triggers, with ETB triggers, it's a cool little engine for you. And also green has some really good sack outlets. In addition to Evolutionary Leap, there's also Greater Good, Birthing Pod. And so this guy can make use of these sack outlets really well because it's all about sending your creatures to the graveyard and reusing them. And then on top of that, you get to play cool things like Kessig Cage Breakers Mm -hmm. and really anything that self-mills, you get to play like Munvali Beast Tracker. Uh, which is a 1-2 for 3, a 1 green-green that puts a creature with death touch, hexproof, reach, trample, and on top of your library. And it turns out there's a decent amount of creatures with those abilities that you would love to uh, put back on top of your library, cast from the top of your library with those abilities. <laughs> so, yeah, I would really think about this guy. Like it, It's much deeper than you might think on first glance. It was much deeper than I thought on first glance. This deck is actually really red. All right. I got a couple questions for you. Yes. So first off, what are some commanders that are above him in the rankings that you think are not nearly as interesting? Yes. Are you ready for this? Yeah. So there's Kesa. She costs three and two green. Elf Druid, a two, three. Or is she? She has all green creatures you control get plus one, plus one. This includes her. (laughs) (laughs) So she is a 3-4 for 5 that is an anthem for all of your green creatures. Oh, man. 1-1's one, not mm-hmm. really enough, especially in mono green where you're the... We mentioned earlier in this episode, you're the king of overrun effects. Yeah. Just, like, so many buffs. 
it's so not worth it to put that effect on your commander unless it's like azuri Mm -hmm. because it's so easy to tutor out a crater hoof and Mm -hmm. kill everyone yeah you want your commander to be generating some other resource because if you're in green you've got damage covered in that regard like there's also like dwinin guilt leaf dane holy cow this is probably like the least interesting of the elf commanders mm-hmm. and like its abilities don't synergize so this came out in magic origins or uh, magic onions as i like to say it's a three four reach it's an elf warrior for two and two green it has other elf creatures you control get plus one plus one again with the, the anthem and whenever dwinin attacks you gain one life for each attacking elf you control I thought it had Vigilance when I first saw the card. Like, I read it real quick, didn't really pay attention to the keyword, and was like, oh, cool, Vigilance, so you can block and, like, attack and get the life, and, like, it all synergizes. But, like, why would you give Reach, which means you don't want to attack with it, to a creature with an attack trick? Yeah. I don't know. Like, that one's not only higher than Watuo. That's... uh 12 steps higher it's like much much further up the ranking i'm, I'm just gonna rattle off a couple yeah right here there's just so many like big fat yeah big fat is very popular like there's silvos rogue elemental yes yeah, three green 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 for an eight five trample you can pay green to regenerate it <laughs> there's multani maro sorcerer four Which, green green it's star star where star is equal to everyone's hand size so and the collective hand size and it also has Shroud. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's Malimo Maro Sorcerer for mm-hmm. green, green, green for a star, star elemental with Trample. Its power and toughness are each equal to the number of lands you control. There's Thrun the Last Troll, two green, green for a 4-4 four, four Troll Shaman. It can't be countered, has Hexproof, and pay one in a green to regenerate it. Grun the Lonely King. Grun the Lonely King. Is much higher than this. All of these, all they do is just beat face. Why do we need this many vanilla beater commanders? They're hankering. They got the thirst. I guess. But like, can't they just figure out which one is the best and then let the <laughs> others fall to the bottom? You got the hunger for that beef. Why do you think Watuo is so low in the rankings? Because there's like 44 is incredibly low. And this deck actually seems really interesting. I think it's a few things. I think that it looks really uninteresting like put a creature on top of my library so I don't draw it, I think that looks very uninteresting. I think it's an old card, so I think that people just don't look back that much. A lot of people think that Three Kingdoms commanders are kind of meme mm-hmm. and sometimes they can be. Like for sure, sometimes people are just playing them because they can play them. But a lot of these things combine into like a very overlookable commander. It doesn't help that the only reprint he's ever gotten was in like one commander precon. It was in like the Gahiji deck, whatever deck, yeah. the Marith. So if you didn't yeah. buy that specific deck, then like you d- would just never encounter this. This is just an example of like a really simple design that has a ton of depth to it. Mm-hmm. It might also be that like Iname Death Aspect, there's a lot of drawbacks on this card and that yes. might just turn people away. Because like instead of putting it from your graveyard to your hand, you're putting it on top of your library. So like, oh, I'm kind of skipping a draw. Mm-hmm. And then there's also this timing restriction so you like can't be tricky it just looks weird and bad it's like the uh return to dust thing like you can be tricky but only your first main phase yeah yeah it's like you can respond to triggers in your first main phase (laughs) i think there's enough unappetizing things on the surface to where no one bothers to like reach in and actually like discover the magic within 
we're getting a little into like stereotype territory, but it might just be that if you are the kind of person who is attracted to green, this commander is not going to appeal to you. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. you want the Malimos, you want the Multanis. Yeah, like I would assume that if you, like a lot of people who want like a grindy green deck, they'd just pick a different color. Like if you're the kind of yeah. person who likes grindy gameplay, no, I like agree Whisper with that. or play like Iname, there's great commanders for that. They just generally aren't in green. There might be some truth to what you're saying there, though, that just like people looking for that gameplay aren't looking here. I think that's all we have time for today. Next time we're going to get into the allied colored commanders there is enough here to do this a few times so if you enjoyed this let us know i want to hear what maybe you thought was underrated or like a commander that maybe you get on your soapbox when you're with your play group about how cool they are especially the monocolor ones like anything we haven't colored that you think is cool like please let us know i'm sure there are some builds of obscure commanders that actually make them cool and we're just not aware of like the trick mm-hmm. so yeah definitely let us know if you're aware of some cool tech that can totally like flip the script on some of these underplayed commanders mm-hmm. just let us know we'd love to hear about it all right we've got listener questions to cover since you've been playing a long time have you noticed trends in terms of what types of commanders people are choosing as the format has grown, has like the more enfranchised crowd shifted towards wonky and weird stuff, or has the influx of new players made it so it's all about like the the newest and shiniest or like established cards? How has the changing landscape of the format changed what decks you tend to see? Definitely, there's a lot more deck of the week than there used to be. Every set that comes out now, because they're designing for Commander, there's pretty much someone in any group chat i'm in that plays magic that goes dibs dibs and like you'll see four of the deck immediately Mm -hmm. upon the set coming out and that didn't actually used to happen when i started i felt like i saw a lot more decks where people were like connecting to x character or connecting to x play style i saw a lot of decks with like savra golgari like lich queen because like people really like golgari and even though there's probably stronger decks or probably stronger things to do at the time, because like we didn't have a lot of the cards we have now, which is actually really crazy to say, mm-hmm. that have like really pushed that deck like really over the edge. Like you had like Greater Good and you had Hermit Druid, but there's a lot of stuff that we got afterwards that like got really crazy. And I do honestly think that like nowadays, because they're building to Commander and Commanders are much more... I think user friendly. Yeah, user friendly that you do tend to see a lot more deck of the weeks and then they fall away. So not necessarily that like enfranchised players are doing anything more goofy than they have before. I guess my other point that I would want to make is that like something about the enfranchised commander players that I know Mm -hmm. is that they do like goofy stuff, but they've liked goofy stuff for forever. Mm -hmm. So a lot of enfranchised commander players like it for the deck building aspect. And therefore, either have decks that they've built that are very interesting or do something silly. And that hasn't changed necessarily. The enfranchised players liked Commander for the deck building and are continuing to do that. Mm -hmm. But because there's so many people playing, you get more meme decks. You get more decks of the week kind of stuff. Okay, I've got a couple of points I want to make. Mm -hmm. So one of the biggest changes to how decks get adopted in the format comes from technology. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's two things going on that I think are really affecting the landscape of the format. One is that decks are communicated way more easily. Yeah, that's true. Because when we started playing, like there weren't, you know, big podcasts, there weren't commander gameplay videos nearly as much. It was just like kind of what you saw and what you built. Yeah. But now there are like these huge YouTube channels like Game Nights there's huge podcasts devoted to commanders yeah and then of course there's like the the edh subreddit yeah which is very popular yeah so like now there's these really big channels where people can communicate their decks and deck ideas can gain a lot of traction so that makes it so a lot of people can seize on some idea and build that and then like edh rec gets flooded with those kinds of deck lists yeah Another new piece of technology that didn't exist when the format started out was EDH Rec itself. Yeah. And the EDH Rec feedback loop is a real thing. So, like, people will see a deck on EDH Rec, they'll see that certain cards are associated with it, and then they'll just put that into their deck, and then they've just added one more deck to the database that's, like, reifying that one way of building this commander. Yeah. So that's that's a concern. That kind of, like, homogenizes the format and makes it so that it's a little harder for rogue builds to to gain popularity and visibility because the right way or like the most popular way of build something kind of crowds everything out. Another thing I've noticed is like new commanders just have such a huge advantage compared to old ones. Yeah. So in part because of what you said, like when you were talking about Savra, Queen of the Golgari, mm-hmm. like there just weren't a bunch of cards back in the day that really synergized with that and they've like we've gotten more over time yeah but it seems like these days so much of the building for a new commander happens right when it's released yeah that's really true so there can be like new cards being printed that like unlock old commanders and really make them viable but their moment has kind of passed Mm -hmm. unless like game nights or whatever popularizes this idea People aren't going to organically think to themselves like, oh, hey, you know, this card scrapyard recombiner like really works in this old colorless deck of mine. Maybe I should go back and see if that makes this work. But like most people just aren't having that idea. And unless somebody's like shouting it from the rooftops, it's just not going to get communicated. I know for a fact, like that is specifically what I'm doing when sets come out is Mm -hmm. I'm looking to see if any old cards have been activated that's the entire reason i made like my joel rail like mono green list was i was like oh there's all these cards that care about tapped creatures in amonkhet Mm -hmm. and then i looked back and i was like this is really strong like this is really nuts and made the list and it is amazing to me how many people don't do that like i had that kind of moment with all the changelings from modern horizons i was like huh there are a lot of changelings now is it enough to have like a critical mass all the time, like a lot of changelings every single game. Okay, yes, that's true. What does that mean? Yeah. <laughs> when Commander started, it was people who were like, you can play any card you want. And so you got all these brewers. You're like, oh man, I can play any card I want. I can play Soul Ring. Oh man, I'm totally going to do that. Where now that it's the most popular format, you get a lot of people that like to play Commander because they like playing they don't necessarily like building. Mm -hmm. And so you do end up with that kind of scenario a lot more where it's just someone that they just look up a list so they can play without actually like digging in to see like what could be optimal. 
I think that's a lot of Magic players, a lot more than I used to think in general, but also with Commander, because Commander is the most popular format now. But you had another point. Yeah, I've got, this is sort of like a three-part point. Okay. And this is just a difference in how Wizards has changed how they're making the game. So as you mentioned earlier, like Wizards is now designing for Commander, Mm -hmm. but more than just like designing, oh, I think this would be a cool Commander, they're also like listening to players and listening to exactly what they want. Like, hey, I really, really want a spider tribal commander. Please make that for me, <laughs> wizards. And they're filling in archetypes. One thing that's changed is like all these old commanders that were used as like, eh, good enough. Those are going to get completely destroyed. Yeah, over by, time. Over time. Like, yeah. especially with this two-year horizon on EDH rec. Goreclaw, Terror of Calcisma is probably going to see like a steep drop off in popularity once all two years within the EDH rec horizon include Ayula. Oh yeah, I totally agree with that. So that's something that's changing the the shape of the format, which I think is a good thing. I like that Wizards is meeting people's needs and also just, just trying to expand the number of available archetypes. They're not trying to just like make powerful commanders anymore. Yeah. They're they're really trying to create things that you can build around, which is yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah, because definitely, like, people really love, like, the Kamigawa Legends because there were so many of them, and they all kind of did something quirky, but the fact that they're all monocolor Mm -hmm. is, like, such a huge drawback. People loved them because they were all that existed, but now we've gotten past that. It's like, we have options now, and we have good options now. You don't need to just force blank Commander from Mm -hmm. Kamigawa because it, like, is the closest thing to what you're trying to do. The three main driving forces are like communication tools, deck building tools, how Wizards is designing cards. Like those are the real factors that have changed over the last 10 years and that have influenced the shape of the format. I agree. None of these things are necessarily bad. And I also agree. I don't think these things are bad, but I think that they present opportunities and I, for one, intend to seize those opportunities. Yeah. Part of the reason I am doing this podcast yeah. is because I want to communicate the good ideas and I want to refute the bad ideas and mm-hmm. I want to try to help shape the format in a way that people will build decks that they end up enjoying and that like the enjoyable, interesting decks get put in a more visible place. Yeah, I think that the health of the format and like the discussions about the format are not always in the most positive places so Mm -hmm. like anything at all that like we can do to like help steer them to cool builds or like good ideas or anything like that's kind of the goal we want to make sure the format is like as healthy as possible so that like as many people are having as much fun as possible Mm -hmm. because like now commander is the most popular format that's cool that means that like a ton of people can also like enjoy playing this game now and we have a lot more people to play with Uh than we used to which is really good that's just about all we had time for today before i go i want to give a brief thank you to our patreon patrons they are bradley gustav ryan mark amond addison arthur mason will elvis rick laser Raphael. Raphael, who gave us that ending question. Thank you for that. Thank you. Kyle, Charlotte, Andrew, Casey, Brock, and Tom. 
Thank you all for supporting the show, keeping the lights on here in the studio. And if you are not currently a patron but would like to become one, you can check us out at patreon.com slash commander theory. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. If you want to get in touch with me, I am at commander theory on Twitter and Tumblr. If you want to reach Zach, he is at fat Bartleby on Twitter and Tumblr. The opening song is Lincoln Continental by Entropy, and you can check him out on SoundCloud. We'll talk to you guys next time.